0: You may be seated. As you're being seated, open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been going verse by verse through this book. We're getting to know these two figures the one who wrote the letter is named the Apostle Paul. The one who received the letter, his name is Timothy. And uh, we know that Paul wrote about 27 different letters that are recorded as Holy Scripture. He wrote them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Timothy received two of those letters. And so we have two books in the New Testament called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And the letter is simply um, the dying words, the last words of a dying man. The Apostle Paul knows he's got a few days, maybe even hours to live. He's in a prison. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel, and he knows that his time is limited. And so, he is trying to pass the baton To Timothy, to be the one who is the shepherd, the overseer over his church in Ephesus. And so we're reading things that Paul's very urgent about. Timothy's being charged to live faithfully. He's being charged to preach boldly in the midst of a culture that is increasingly characterized by being a lover of self and increasingly hostile toward those who are lovers of God. Paul's admire him to courageously, don't sit on the sidelines, don't be passive, step up to lead, be a guardian of truth, be a carrier of the gospel. He's simply trying to pass the baton. Anybody like me, a fan of Summer Olympics, you like to watch the Summer Olympics. My favorite event of the Summer Olympics is the four by 100 relay. And of course, the United States always has the fastest team. They've won the gold medal 15 times. They almost always win except when they dropped the baton. I remember back in 1988, I stayed up until two in the morning because the Olympics were in Seoul, South Korea that year. And at two o'clock in the morning, American time, the greatest group of sprinters that had ever been assembled were going to win the gold medal. The one who was going to uh, run the last leg in that relay was Carl Lewis, the most decorated sprinter in history. And so I remember I stayed up and I watched And yet the baton never made it into the hand of Carl Lewis because some goofball dropped it between the second and the third racer. I don't know who the goofball was. I shouldn't call him a goofball. I'm sure he could out sprint me. And I'm sure that 99% of the time he perfectly passes the baton. It happened again in 2008. And the last leg didn't ever receive the baton. The guy's name was Tyson Gay. And after the race, they interviewed him and they said, what happened? And he simply said, when I reached back, there was nothing there to grab. May it never be said of Gospel City Church that when the next generation of Christians reached back, There was nothing to put in their hand. The second letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy is a beautiful picture of a well-passed baton. Everything we do around here is about discipleship. Did you know that? We talk about that all the time, the mission of the church, glorify God, make disciples. Disciple making is all about passing the baton our leadership development, our mentoring is all about our willingness to let go of that which has been faithfully passed on to us. And so what we do around here is all about passing the baton of the gospel, passing the baton of truth, passing the baton of God's word on to others. Now, in order for there to be a a well-executed baton passed, the guy that's holding the baton has to be willing to let go. Sometimes the baton is not passed because the guy has such a firm grip on the baton, he won't let go, he won't let somebody else carry it. He loves his baton, he thinks he looks good with his baton, he's fast with his baton, he doesn't wanna let go. And yet there's an open hand waiting to receive it. Sometimes the baton doesn't get passed because the guy in front won't stick out his hand. He doesn't want to receive it. He doesn't want to take his responsibility as the next runner in the race. Now, it is healthy and humbling for those of us who are getting old. How many of you are getting old? Anybody above the age of 53 is old? In case you're wondering. You know why I chose that, right? I'm 53. Next month, I will be old as I celebrate another birthday. So, those of us that are getting old need to be, need to have a, a, a very humble look at how much time we have left. Because the truth is that one day, death is going to pry the baton out of your hand. Who's going to carry it when you're gone? That's what we talk about when we talk about making disciples. And I'm sure that you, you know this. The Christian life is not a sprint. Did you know that? And of course you think, well, of course it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. No, it's not a marathon. It's a relay. Relay because we've only got a limited amount of time to run our leg of the race until we pass on that which someone has passed to us so that the gospel can advance, the kingdom of God can be known. So there ought to be a continual question in your mind, who's next? Who's going to carry the baton after you. Now, if you are under the age of 53 or you're just part of the younger generation, actually the truth is we're all passing the baton and we're all grabbing the baton at every moment of our lives, we're just running our leg. Now, as we get into this portion of scripture that we're about to read here together, let me just bring you into the pastor's mind here for a few minutes because I really wrestled really about how to apply this. I, I wondered like, in, anytime you're reading the, the two books that Paul wrote to Timothy, you can either uh, make application um, for the Pauls in the room, those, those who have the baton, those who have been faithful, those who have been uh, guardians of the faith, you're an older person, you're running out of time, I, you can either apply like, okay, let's apply this as if we're the, the Pauls in the room, or you can apply it as if you are the Timothys. Now, if I was preaching to a group of people that are younger than me, I would preach this and apply this as if you're all Timothy. If, if you're a student, you know who you are. You're, you're, you're the next generation, right? You're, you're too cool for school and, and you think we're all old because, you know, anybody over 19 is old to you. And um, so, so I would, if I was just doing a youth group message or a young adult message, man, I would, I would apply this as if you're all um, Timothys. But I'm looking around. I see some gray hair in the room. And I see some people that feel old, even if you're not that old, right? And and uh, th- And if I was just doing this to a group of people that were older, I would apply this as if you're all Paul's. This creates a dilemma for me because you've all shown up in the same room at the same time. So, the outline's a little weird today, all right? Only two points in the message. You're like, thank God. You know, it's been so much information, right? So, there's only two points in the message, but... There's a double point in each message, all right? So here's the first point. The first point is this. I wanna first of all talk to the Timothys in the room. Timothys with quotation marks. These are the people that are younger, okay? Timothys, first point, look at the legacy of Paul. That's what we're about to read. I'm gonna read it here in just a second. So I want the younger people in the room to think about the people who have the baton and need to pass it into your hand. We want to say is your hand open? Are you ready to run your leg? On the other hand, I'll come over here. I want to talk to the Pauls in the room. Paul, you people, you older people, you people like me, leave a legacy for Timothy. Now, I want you just to kind of remove the two historical names that we're going to see in the text and you can insert your name in here. So, Trent, look at the legacy of your mentors, those who have run the race before you, those who have left an example for you to follow. And then, Trent, leave a legacy for the next generation. Who are you passing the baton to? And we're gonna see the application here in the text. So let's read here with those two things in view. Notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, now remember, this is Paul writing to Timothy. So, Timothy, you, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering, That happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. Paul got beat up a lot. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, the first word in verse 10 marks a transition. If you've been with us in the last couple of weeks, Paul's been describing and identifying these these horrible false teachers. They're lovers of self. We looked at those 17 characteristics, somebody that loves himself. Last week, we looked at these creepy people who creep into the church, and they lead captive weak women. He names a couple of them, Jannies and Jambres. And so, the, the attention is all external. Look at how bad these teachers are. Look at these horrible examples. But then he gets to verse 10 and he says, now let's talk about you. Get your eyes off the false teachers. Get your eyes off everything you could complain about. Don't focus on what you don't have. Let's focus on what you do have. Let's talk about you. It's a great application for us. If you're a Christian, if you're comfortable in church and you're uncomfortable out there in the world, there is so much out there in the world to complain about. There are so many false teachers. There's so many people you could write a blog post about. There's so many people you could criticize. So many people you could critique. And listen, can I just tell you, stop wasting your time. Things are going to get worse. We're going to read that here in just a minute. They're going to go from bad to worse. There's all going to be teachers out there. Paul says, listen, they're out there. Of course they are. Here's the description. Identify them. Be on guard. But then at some point, God says to us, what about you? What about your teaching? What about your example? What about your conduct? He says, you, however, in contrast to those people, you have followed my teaching. The word follow there doesn't just mean at a distance, it means to follow so closely that you begin to absorb and imitate the person that you are following. I don't know about you, I, I, many of you I'm sure are Oklahoma Sooner fans and you follow every move of the Oklahoma Sooner football team as I do nobody. Okay, so, but you have a team, you have an athlete, maybe you have a leader in business and you say, I'm a f- I follow them. But really what you mean is you sit on the couch, you eat potato chips while these, these world-class athletes are out there doing things that are almost seemingly human, superhuman. Listen, if you were really a follower, the kind of follower that Paul's talking about here, when he says, Timothy, you have followed me, it means that you've trained like me. It means that you've Talked like me. You've begun to act like me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Unfortunately, a lot of people follow Christ the way that I follow the Oklahoma Sooners, sitting on a couch eating potato chips while they're doing stuff. To be a follower of Christ means that you actually begin to speak like Him. You begin to act like Him. You begin to think like Him. You shadow Him. You you, you, you become Christ-like. That's why we call ourselves Christians, because we live like Christ. We think like Christ. We give like Christ. We serve like Christ. We love like Christ. We forgive like Christ. That's what it means to follow. And Paul says, you, Timothy, have followed me. Timothy began to pray like Paul. Timothy began to preach like Paul. One of our core values at our church, I mention these from time to time. We remind ourselves of these every time we meet on Tuesday. We give core value shout-outs. We have seven of these. The very last of our seven core values as a staff is this. We replicate for broader influence. That's that's an acknowledgement that we know there's going to be a generation that comes behind us. There's going to be people that are going to be here long after we're gone. It means that we're always looking for someone to pass the baton to. It means we're looking for hungry people to take what we've learned and go with it further and farther and faster than we have even been able to take it. If we as a church are unsuccessful in that value, replicating for broader influence, then the disciple-making ministry of our church will stop when we stop. But if we are successful in replicating ourselves for broader influence, then the ministry of disciple-making and gospel proclamation goes further, farther and faster than it would if it just bottlenecked with a few people. So we're always about multiplication, we're always about um, replicating ourselves. It's why we plant churches, it's why we train pastors, it's why we do discipleship, it's why we raise up leaders. And I hope you can see those things in our culture here. Now, in this particular passage, Paul mentions nine characteristics that he wants to replicate in this next disciple, Timothy. And I want you to see them here. Now, listen, anytime there's a list of nine things, I'm running a risk of you checking out at point four, okay? So stay with me here. We'll go through these things pretty fast. And let me just make some application for those of you uh, that are Paul's. Now, listen, if you're a parent, you're a Paul. If you are a coach, you're a Paul. If you're a small group leader, you're a Paul. If you're an elder, you're a Paul. Listen, If you're a 15-year-old, you're a Paul to the 12-year-olds in your life. So don't just think this is for the old people, okay? And understand this, that everybody's following someone. We even call those people on your social media accounts followers. These are the influencers. Paul wanted to be the influencer that would replicate qualities of godliness in Timothy. And it's a legacy. And let me just say something about a legacy here. I know many of you did not have great examples to follow. Maybe you grew up in a broken home. Maybe you had an absent father. Maybe you had just, maybe you look at what, you, you didn't see anybody passing good things to you. The only thing you got past was maybe an example of addiction or laziness or irresponsibility. And you're like, man, I was grabbing for something. There just wasn't anything there to grab. Let me just say this. Nobody gets to choose their heritage. God chose that. You were born in the family that you were born into. You were born in the time that you were born. Nobody gets to choose their heritage, but everybody gets to choose their legacy what you will pass on is your responsibility. You can't blame the person who ran the leg before you for not passing on a legacy of godliness to the ones who will come after you. So here's nine qualities that we, Pauls, must leave as a legacy to the Timothys in our life. And for if you're a Timothy Look at the legacy of those that have gone before you, your parents, your pastors, um, those disciple makers in your life um, that have left this kind of example. So let's look at these nine qualities. First of all, he says, My teaching. Let me warn you here. He uses the word my over and over. It might sound a little self serving. Look at me. Look at my teaching. He's not being arrogant, he's being obedient to be a disciple maker. He's been an obedient disciple and now he's looking to pass on something that has incredible value, my teaching. The Greek word there is the word we get our word doctrine from. It's not just how he taught, it's what he taught. Paul believed some things about God and he wanted Timothy to believe the same things about God. Timothy, you don't get to make up your own theology. You don't get to make up your own doctrine. You're going to I'm going to replicate my teaching, my doctrine into your life. And that's what we still do. We're leaving a series of things that we believe about God into the hands of other people. I've heard some parents say, you know, I don't wanna force my children or pressure my children into any particular religious belief. I just want them to kind of discover their beliefs on their own. That's poor parenting. Your responsibility is to teach them truth about God. Not to coerce or pressure, but to leave a a legacy so that those children can receive the right things from the Lord. Listen, we're all teaching something. Everybody's a teacher. Everybody's a theologian. Those that come after you are going to learn about God from you. Every time you complain, those who come after you are learning about God. Every time you pray, those who come after you are learning about God. Every time you spend or give money, those who follow you are learning what you believe, what your doctrine of money is, what your doctrine of forgiveness is, what your doctrine of Christ is. We're all teachers. Can you say to those who are following you, follow my teaching. Here's the second thing, my conduct. I'm so glad that followed teaching, right? Because teaching and conduct go together. Uh, what you believe means nothing if it doesn't impact your conduct. Paul said, don't just listen to me teach, watch how I live. If your conduct doesn't match Your teaching, those who follow you, will just say, you've left a legacy of hypocrisy. That's what you've left. And so you don't wanna leave that. Character still counts. It It doesn't matter what you say. If your character of life doesn't back it up, then nobody's going to replicate you. And you should not follow someone whose conduct is different than their teaching. Character is what validates the teaching. There's so many people out there whose giftedness to teach is so much stronger than the character of their life to support the teaching. And so we have to be people of character. Third thing is my aim in life. Do you see it there? My aims. great word picture there. My aim. This is the why behind the what. Why does he believe what he teaches? Why does he act the way that he acts? It's because of the aim of his life. The question is, what are you aimed at? Sometimes, very rarely, I go play golf. Every time I do, I hit my ball everywhere except at the flag. And people will say to me that are standing behind me, Trent, I think one of your problems is like your, your feet are like aimed over at that tree and the hole's over there. If you would just aim better, you'd have a better shot at, at the ball going in the right direction. It's true. The question I would ask you is, what are you aimed at? Are you aimed at a career? Are you aimed, at, aimed at education? Are you aimed at comfort, happiness, retirement, pleasure, entertainment? Is that what you're aimed at? You cannot be aimed at those things and pass the baton of teaching and conduct to the next generation. The next thing is my patience. Don't you hate it when that word shows up in the Bible? My patience, it's like, it seems like this service is kind of going a long time. It's like, like, I got things to do. I got people to see. How long are we gonna be in church? My patience, patience involves waiting. Paul didn't always see immediate results from his labor. Paul didn't always get his prayers answered. It's one of the things that, that comforts me, especially when you're sick, especially when like you've, you've got a terminal illness, In in the Scripture, Paul had this thing. He prayed three times, God, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? It's causing me pain. God said, nope. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, okay, great. I will boast in my weaknesses as I patiently wait till I get to heaven when every disease, every illness, every pain is gonna be removed. How patient are you? Can you say to your... Timothy's, just just watch me wait without sinning. The next thing is my love. Paul didn't just dutifully do his job. Paul was moved in his heart because of his love for God and his love for people. In service and sacrifice, we lay down our lives in love we can't be satisfied just to win theological arguments and teach right doctrine, set an example. We have to love the people that are following us. Then he says, my steadfastness. This is a great word in the Bible here. Micah, stand up here, hey, come up here. This word for steadfastness, um, it's the Greek word hupomone, all right? It comes from two words. One is the word uh, uh, to remain. That's the word we use for abide, to continue, okay? And then hopa means um, to stay or, or to to remain under, okay? So, let me illustrate it this way. I, I want you to hupomone right now, okay? This is what it means to be steadfast, okay? Now, don't move, all right? Now, this is, are you feeling some pressure, little some bit. weight, a <laughs> little bit? I'm not a large man, but nope. I, can, I can create some pressure if I wanted to. Now, after a while, he's probably going to want to get out from under the pressure. Have you ever been there? Anybody right now facing some pressure, some weight? You feeling some weight? You want to get out from under that? This is a hard job. This is a hard assignment. Can I do something different? You know what God says? Be steadfast. Remain under. Timothy was going, thank you. You're going, Timothy was going to face some pressure. Paul knew he was going to want to get out from under the pressure. Why do I have to be the one that's always confronting wrong doctrine? Why do I have to be the one that's always being a target of people who love themselves and tell them to repent and love God? You want to get under. Ministry is hard, it's filled with misunderstandings, it's filled with people who are critical. And yet, if you're going to be someone who passes the baton and receives it, what you're asking for is, I'm going to receive some things that are hard, and I'm going to need steadfastness, endurance to remain under that pressure. Then he says, it gets worse, my persecutions and suffering that happened in, he lists them, like these are historical events in real places, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Why does he mention those three places? It's interesting. If you go back to the book of Acts, guess where Paul met Timothy? Lystra. The first thing Timothy knew about Paul, you get beat up a lot. And Paul wants to remind him, remember that beating I suffered at Lystra? Don't be surprised if they beat you up too. Follow my example in persecution and suffering. Nobody is gonna get out of this without some of those hardships. But then here's the promise. Notice what he says. But the Lord rescued me. Timothy knew of Paul's persecution, but he wanted to impress upon him the faithfulness of the Lord. It's worth it. God rescues every single time. That's how good God is. Then verse 12 reminds us of this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you like Bible promises? How many of you like Bible promises? You want to memorize a Bible promise? Memorize that. Here's a Bible promise. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Doesn't that just comfort your soul? Just just quote that to yourself when you get up in the morning. Great. Uh, Lord, I was really thinking about living a godly life today. But then I realized I'm going to be persecuted for it. So guess what? I'm not going to live a godly. That's not the way you apply that verse. Okay. Now, I want you to notice something that does not, that verse does not say all Christians will be persecuted. That's not what it says. It says all Christians who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. There's way too many Christians who are blending in with the culture. You wear Christian camouflage. You look like everybody else. You're really not trying all that hard to be distinct from the world. Guess what? Devil's not really concerned with you. You get a pass on persecution. But if you're really leaning into these things, your doctrine, your conduct, your aim in life, if you're aiming at something different than the world's aiming at, guess what? World's not gonna appreciate that. You're gonna be ridiculed, you'll be marginalized. And, and probably for most of us in the culture that we live in, the worst persecution that we'll receive is that people will think less of us. In a country like Nigeria where our brother Daniel is, that could cost you your life. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so he again points back to these lovers of self. Here's the second thing we're gonna learn today, all right? Because there's a contrast here. Here's the second thing. Um, Timothy, so all of you younger people, learn the Bible from Paul. Now, just stick your name in there, whatever your name is, Trent. Learn the Bible from who are your teachers? Who are those that have gone before you? Again, you're gonna receive something from somebody who's trying to pass the baton of Bible to you and then if you're an older person, here's the deal. Paul, teach the Bible to the Timothys in your life. Trent, teach the Bible to your children, to the next generation the next generation of pastors, church planters, elders, small group leaders. This is discipleship. Now, I want you to just notice what he says here. He uses the word you again. See verse 14, but as for you. So, quit thinking about how bad things are. Quit thinking about the imposters, and let's talk about you. Not the evil people. Let's talk about you. What are you going to do to pass the baton? As for you, continue. By the way, that's our word for abide. The theme for the year this year has been abide. And so Paul says to Timothy, I want you to abide. I want you to continue, remain, stay under, don't stop, don't run in the opposite direction. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. Interestingly, the word whom there, that pronoun, it's plural in the original language. So Timothy learned some things from Paul. We've already studied how he learned some things from his grandmother. He learned some things from his mother. He had other teachers in his life and he wants him to continue to learn and to be firmly established, knowing from whom you've learned it. From verse 15, it says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Man, those are some powerful words. These are foundational words. If you are somebody of the next generation and you've got your hand out here, what you are looking for is someone who will give you something that will make you wise to salvation. Not just to become a Christian not just to be made right with God, but to live your life pleasing to God. So he's focused on the future. He wants him to take the baton. And he mentions the word learned here. He mentions it twice. Let's talk about learning. Are you a learner? Do you like to learn? Do you know learning is a spiritual discipline that never stops? Learning is essential to salvation. Nobody is born with the knowledge of salvation. You have to acquire the wisdom to be saved. And the, it's really simple. It's re, you just have to admit you're not sufficient to be made right with God. Um, I, just, I need to learn I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. God has grace and love and acceptance for all those who will admit that and repent and make their aim of life Jesus Christ. You have to learn that. You you have to learn, learning is a lifelong posture of all those who desire to live godly lives. Learning is essential to growing in godliness. Godliness is a learned behavior. You don't just wake up and like, I'm gonna be godly today. I don't even know how to be godly today. Where am I gonna learn that? I better find a Paul. I better read my Bible. I better find out some things I have to learn about being godly. Learning is fuel for worship and obedience. Listen, the end game of learning is not acquiring information. The end game of learning is transformation. If all you do when you learn is increase your knowledge, you will become a hard-hearted religious Bible fathead with a pharisaical attitude toward people who didn't learn as much as you. That is such a threat to the church because we love to learn. But if it it just lodges in the head and never gets to the heart, if it never produces worship, then you haven't learned the right thing yet. We learn to be humble and respond in worship. And notice it says, you learned these things from childhood. Don't you love that? How many of you are volunteers in Gospel City Kids? Raise your hand if you're a volunteer in Gospel City Kids. Look at these people. These people are people who understand those children need some pause in their life. How many of you are volunteers in Gospel City Students? Youth ministry, middle school, high school, great. And young adults. Um, I had a great opportunity um, on Friday night. So uh, Tyler Holder is our director of young adults and he started the summer series uh, for our young adults and I got invited. I'm teaching that next Friday night. And so um, I'm in there and I'm looking around the room. I walked into the room and I immediately felt old. Because I'm looking at the kids, I'm like, when we started the church, you were five. And now you're 18. And it was so cool to see these kids, these Timothys walking in there and all they wanted to do is learn how to study their Bible. I'm like, yes. We are passing some batons and they got their hand out like that. Listen, if we've got a next generation, I've, I've had these people stand in church. for, Do you know how many young people we have in our church? There's people in our church that are doing this. How many people are doing this? Paul, teach the Bible to the Timothys. We've got a responsibility. Um, It it mentions childhood here. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've told you that before. I cannot remember a time when my mom and dad broke out the Bible and read it to me. I don't remember a time that my mom and dad initiated prayer in my life. I stumbled into church when I was about, you know, 14, 15 years old, and there was a youth pastor with a baton in his hand. And he would just simply say, open your Bible, and he would lead us through about an hour of discussion on what it was. And I, the more I heard that, the more my hand got open, and, and then I, I went off to a seminary where there were people standing there doing this, and then there's books to read. And, and, I, and the, in the process, I got old. And at some point, like this week, I was thinking about it. Who am I reading and who am I listening to now All of those people used to be older than me. And now, many of those authors and teachers are younger than me. And yet, those are the Pauls that are still teaching me how to live. Um, Some of those people are even in my family. Um, and he mentions here the sacred writings. That's why we use the word Bible here. Do you see the word sacred writings? What's he talking about? From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Are you familiar, acquainted with the sacred writings? What is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. That's what Timothy had learned, and Paul says, continue learning them you've been acquainted with them and now that you've learned them the baton's going to be in your hand and you're going to need to pass it off to somebody else one day i remember the first time i went to israel about 5 6 years ago went with a group of pastors and and we were going to these different historic sites and and the tour guide was telling us oh you remember in the old testament you know in second kings chapter 17, where there was this great event. And you remember the prophet and they'd name some prophet and I'm like, I'm so embarrassed right now. I'm a pastor of a church. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know that story. I mean, I'm sure I've read it, but like you're telling it like I'm supposed to know it. And I remember I came back from Israel and like, I'm going to dig deep into the Old Testament. And if you were around back then, you remember I did that series called Epic and we had like these 10 epic stories from the Old Testament. And basically I was just taking on a tour through Israel with the sites that I'd seen because I needed to learn these things. We talked about Gideon and and, uh, we talked about Elijah and all these different great stories. Those were the stories that Timothy was familiar with. Are you familiar with those? Um, As you know, last... Uh, the last 100 days of 2020. We've read through the whole Bible in 100 days. Many of you did. 800 people signed up to do that. And we've challenged you next week. Uh, did, you, did you get the challenge? Did you get the card? Where's the card? We've got the cards available out there. They're on the high top tables out there. 100 days, 100 days, we're gonna do it again. But this time we're, we're cutting you so much slack. We're gonna read the New Testament in 100 days. You just have to read two or three chapters a day. Can you handle it? Can you handle it? hundred days? There's about hundred days between Memorial Day and Labor Day through the summer. Can you read the New Testament between Memorial Day and Labor Day? It starts on Memorial Day next Monday. Get your card, start going. I've already talked to some people. It's like, I'm already in Luke. I'm like, you're so far ahead. You can read the whole Bible in hundred days too, if you want, because we've got, we got that plan too. So anyway, sign up, do this with a friend. Keep each other accountable. Talk about what you're learning. Journal what you're learning in the sacred writings. I also want you to notice this. It says, these sacred writings are able to make you wise to salvation. It doesn't mean, it doesn't make you smart. It makes you wise unto salvation. The word able to make you wise, the word able is the word we get our word dynamite from. Reading and learning God's word is powerful. But listen, it's only powerful if you respond to it in faith through faith in Christ Jesus. God's word is the power to make you wise if you respond in faith. Other, If you don't respond in faith, the Bible just makes you a fat hip. So, so listen, let me, let me share with you where we're going in the next uh, three or four weeks, okay? We're gonna keep going through 2 Timothy year and we're, we're going kind of slow, but it's so rich. Over the next four weeks, we're going to give you a theology of the Bible, okay? Starts today with a doctrine, I'm gonna introduce to you, the doctrine of the necessity of the Bible. Next week, we're gonna talk about the authority of the Bible, the week after that, we're gonna talk about the clarity of the Bible, after that, we're gonna talk about the sufficiency of the Bible, all from 2 Timothy chapter three. So what is the necessity of the Bible? That's what he just said. The Bible is able to make you wise. These sacred writings are able to make you wise. Here's what we believe about the Bible. The Bible is essential for learning how to come to a saving faith in Jesus. The Bible is necessary for us to understand how to be saved and how to live a godly life. Only in scripture do we learn that we're not God. You see, a lot of people think, well, I don't need need to read the Bible. I can go out and sit in a deer stand. I can sit by a lake. I can just contemplate a flower. I can sit and moan and I can connect with some spiritual being out there. I don't need the Bible. No, we believe you need the Bible in order to be saved, in order to be made right with God, in order to live a life pleasing to God. The, only in the Bible do I learn I'm not God. Only in the Bible do we learn the will and the ways of God. You can know there is a God by looking at a tree. The Bible says you're, you're without excuse. Even if you don't read the Bible, you ought to be looking at a tree. It's like somebody that created that tree, it wasn't me, so who did that? But we need the Bible to learn the will and the ways of God. God. We need the Bible to learn the source of all of our pain, all of our problems is something called sin. It's trespassing outside of the will of God. It's getting out of the lane that God designed for us to run in. I learned that through the Bible. The Bible's necessary. Only in Scripture do we learn of God's judgment, how serious he takes sin and how to avoid it. Only the Bible teaches you that. Only in the Bible do we learn the good news of forgiveness of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. Only in the Bible do we learn of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Only in Scripture do we learn that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, In Christ alone, only in Scripture do we learn that we have hope of the soon return of Jesus Christ Well, He will make all things new. That's the necessity of the Bible. The Scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want everybody to stand up. Close your Bible. Stand up. I hope that's not the last time you open your Bible this week. I hope the only time you open your Bible is not when the pastor says, open the Bible. I hope you open your Bible this week. Now, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what's gonna happen. I wanna I'll share with you some things that are, that are pretty exciting for me, okay? So after uh, 13 years of pastoring this church and I've seen these, these kids grow up, you know, and the cool thing is, is next week, there's gonna be two kids from our youth group, that aren't kids anymore. They're gonna be preaching in churches. One of them, his name is Zach Griffith. And he's gonna be preaching at College Park Church in Indianapolis next Sunday morning, all right? It's a big church. It's like twice the size of our church. They're gonna give him the pulpit. All right, so you guys go to your kids' soccer games and you cheer and like hold signs and stuff. My family's going on, sitting on the front row. We're holding signs and we're, 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 we're gonna cheer that dude on, okay? Is that okay with you? All right, so we got a representative from Gospel City Church that's gonna go teach College Park Church how to preach, okay? So that's gonna happen down there. We're gonna go cheer him on, which leaves this pulpit open. So guess what's gonna happen here? There's this dude named Mitchell Helmkamp that's been my pastoral assistant for the last year. And he's been, you've seen him. I mean, he's, he's just, he's wonderful. He's done so many great things behind the scenes. Well, we're gonna raise this pulpit up about this far and he's going to bring God's word to you next week. Will you show up? Will you show up? It's Memorial Day weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. So as a Paul, I'm handing the baton to a couple of Timothys. I want you to cheer them on, okay? Now, you have to know, like next week, it's, it's Zach's preaching in Indianapolis. It's the Indy 500. Nobody goes to church that weekend in Indianapolis. So they're giving Zach the pulpit, all right? So Mitch has got the pulpit here. So that's cool. All right, now listen, I wanna sh- challenge you with one more thing. I've challenged you with 100 days between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Guess how many Sundays are between Memorial Day and Labor Day? about 14 Sundays. I want to challenge you to commit to be in church. Not watching church, but be in church all 14 Sundays. You say, well I, I can't do it. we got a vacation plan, we're gonna be out of town this week. I understand that. If you're out of if you're out of town, you're out of church. I get it. But if you're in town 14 Sundays Be in church, go the step beyond that. Don't just be in church, but become a Paul while you're in church. Not just a Timothy, become a Paul. We still have openings available in Gospel City Kids. We need to fill those things. We still have openings for for Backyard Bible Bash. It's an opportunity to be a Paul to to little Timothy. who needs to learn the Bible, okay? And so we're all Pauls, we're all Timothys. We all have something to teach. We all have something to learn. Let's embrace the challenge. There's people that are watching us. If you're a parent, you know that when your children turn into teenagers, they stop listening to you. How many of you have discovered this phenomenon? But they never stop watching you. And they're watching to see, is this gospel thing really all it's cracked up to be? I mean, is it important enough for you to actually be in church? Is it important enough for you to actually teach somebody, to serve, to create an environment where we're passing the baton to the next generation? I want us to pray together. Father, thank you for those that were faithful to go before us. Thank you for those that ran the leg in the race before us. And God, I pray that our hands would always be open, ready to receive that which is able to make us wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And there's some here today that need to take their first step in opening their hand by faith to receive the gospel, the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that Christ is the one you sent to save. I pray for those that need to believe that for the very first time to receive the gospel. And God, I pray that you would make us continually into a church that replicates ourselves, understanding that our time is limited. One day, death's going to pry the baton out of our hand. I pray that there would be a multitude of those that'd be ready to take the baton from us. All for your glory. You've been so good to us. Remind us of that even as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.